You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. A good nerve Shabbos. And what a wonderful Shabbos this is. Not only are the Jewish people finally marching out of Egypt, not only is the dream of 210 years in Egypt, where they look forward certainly in the most intense slavery to just being free, free of the oppressive, harsh slavery, imprisonment, brutality, cruelty, lack of normalcy, lack of normal family life. But finally this was happening. And in the parish of this week, and it was when Pharaoh sent out the people and four major miracles happened in Parshas Bishalach. The two, well, the one really famous one is the splitting of the Red Sea. And what came afterwards, this wonderful song to Hashem, this wonderful ode, this wonderful expression of gratitude. We have the manna that falls from heaven. We have the victory at the end over a formidable enemy, the Amalekites, Amalek. It's an amazing parsha because exile was over. Here was Exodus. Here was redemption. And of course, both the enslavement, the exile of Egypt and Exodus from Egypt are the prototype. That's the example. That's the style that would repeat itself over and over again for B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, the Jewish people throughout the ages. There would be oppression, there would be challenge, there would be harshness and brutality, and there would also be exodus, redemption, the miraculous. This parsha contains the most incredible, incredible medrashim explanations as to what happened when the sea split, how it affected the people, how it affected the entire world. This is truly a parsha filled with miracles. And the name of the parsha is Bishalach, when he sent out. When Pharaoh sent out the people, what does that mean? Did the people not want to leave, that he had to force them out? But in an inner sense, Pharaoh is the seeming power in the world. Pharaoh is our own darkness, difficulty, the materialistic that opposes godliness. And very often, Pharaoh imprisons us. In Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim, Egypt, in the Hebrew is from the word Meitzarim, limitations like Tzoros, like Meitzaru, Gvul, boundaries. However, there is a gift in the boundaries. There is a gift in the Pharaoh, as it were. And that gift is that it can awaken within us a desire to be closer to godliness, to be free of the terrible oppression, to be released from this terrible, terrible day-to-day suffering when things are comfortable and things are good, as it were. Very often, we settle down and we kind of just take it for granted. But when things become painful, difficult, stifling, oppressive, what happens? We call out to God. 
we call out very often just because it's physically so painful, emotionally so painful, frightening. And it's as if the Pharaoh sends us out. The Pharaoh situation, the Egypt situation, actually gives us an opportunity to get out and to go to higher heights. It's an amazing thing. One would think this is the world in which God created so much beauty, and God himself calls this a garden. But so often, the world doesn't look like a garden. It looks like a jungle. It looks like man eats man, the survival of the fittest, those who are powerful, those who are ruthless, can actually hurt those even if they, the others are wise and pure and good. Looks like a very scary story. And we can lose ourselves. We can give up. We can say, I'll be here forever. It's too strong. However, really, this world is holy, beautiful, and spiritual. It's just that things can cover that over. The Parsha this week is a testament to the fact that no matter how dark things got or how dark things get, God hears our cry. He does redeem us. But the redemption that comes from the difficulty itself continues to take us from level to level. The whole part is called When Pharaoh Sent Out. The Pharaoh challenges along the way And our Pharaoh challenges make us grow, give us an opportunity, a seed to absolutely plant growth and development. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Conversations with Meshi only on 101.9 High FM. What was the key to their survival in that dark and difficult time? And what is the key to our managing to get through the challenges that sometimes tend to overwhelm. Our lives are full of hard things. So number one, it's a perspective. If we have that initial understanding that God is ever-present and that the hard stuff, which, like everything else, comes directly from Hashem, is a privilege. He's kind. He is good. And when He gifts us with a challenge... It is to give us an additional portion in his creation that we need to transform into a home for him, which means it's not easy. But when we reveal the goodness in the seeming difficulty, the light in the seeming darkness, we actually prepare another corner of the world, another aspect of ourselves, so that God can realize his dream of why he created the world in the first place. God created the world so it would be a dwelling place for him. And where does he want to dwell? He wants to dwell amongst us. And amongst us means where we live, in the natural order of things. Yes, as mentioned previously, the world seems to be rigid. There are seasons There are countries, there are political systems, there are people. People have their natures. People have their weaknesses and desires. People have their needs. People have their drives. There's the animal kingdom. There's plant life. This incredible, majestic world under the sea 
There are precious gems buried in the earth. There are the laws of nature, of science. But all of this is really godliness. It is all a creation that is continually being created, that is accompanied by, that is permeated with the presence of God at all times. And he takes us and he puts us into this garden. But in this garden, we very often see things, experience things that feel like we're in the jungle, in the quicksand, in a slime pit, in a snake's pit. We are beset with challenges. How do we approach them? In our personal Egypts, how do we approach the things that are standing in the way of us reaching Mount Sinai? The reason for leaving Egypt is in order to get the Torah at Sinai, and we couldn't get out of Egypt. And now we finally were out of Egypt, and in truth, the challenges continued. How? How do we get out of our personal Egypts? We need to understand that this world is basically good And God's presence is revealed with certain tools. The tools really are love and unity, kindness, acceptance. Hashem so loves it when we just go out of our own personal comfort zone for someone else, when we feel united with others, when we express our concern for others. And we're talking that in the darkness and difficulty, how do we not only survive, but thrive and get out of the darkness? And we spoke about love and unity. But sometimes it's so overwhelming. How do we access the strength to be able to exercise, to give this love, to feel this unity? How can we be optimistic in a seemingly doomed situation? And the answer is that we don't need to create anything. We need to reveal the truth. And the truth is that this world is a good place. The truth is that people are good. The truth is that our greatest growth comes through doing the will of God. Because essentially, our souls are one with him. And the souls of others are one with him as well. So when we are loving to the other, we are actually being true to ourselves, not because we want someone to be nice to us, but because we're being nice to ourselves through being nice to someone else. How did we survive throughout the ages? All of the Egypts, all of the enslavement, all of the oppression. There is something within each one of us An optimism, an optimism because deep down we know that we are in the presence of God. We know, our soul knows, that godliness is the truth and the truth never changes. And so in the darkest times in Egypt, the Jewish people kept the promise of redemption alive. The men were so overworked, we're told, that they weren't that conscious of it. But before Joseph had passed away, he had said, hard times are ahead, but God will certainly redeem you from here. God will remember. And that's why when Moses came and he used those words, they believed him. But then it was dark again and difficult. However, there was a group of people in Egypt, and those were the women. And the women, their faith, their optimism 
optimism was closer to the surface than that of the men, and they encouraged the men, and they kept the nation going, to the point where so much did the women believe that God was going to perform miracles for them that they actually prepared for the redemption while they were still in the depths of darkness. And how did they prepare? They prepared to sing. They prepared to celebrate. They prepared musical instruments while they were still in Egypt. And so has it been with the Jewish nation. Even in the darkest times, we've celebrated Shabbos, a bris for a baby boy, a chuppah. In the darkest times in Russia, we have not given up the basic connection to Yiddishkeit. We have had Pesach, Matzah. We have had Rosh Hashanah, the Shoifer. We have lit the Hanukkah candles even in the concentration camps. Why? Because in truth we are connected to something which was, which is above the obvious. And therefore, as soon as there is redemption, as soon as there is a chance to move on, our essential nature, which is one of being happy, comes to the fore. A baby is naturally happy. Baby smiles and coos and gurgles all the time, unless something's bothering the baby. As soon as you make the baby dry or feed the baby, burp the baby, the baby is laughing again. And in truth, that's our nature. Our nature is to be happy. What does Torah want us to do? It wants us to be true to our own nature. Torah doesn't ask us to do anything which is against our innate nature. It's just that our natures get covered up by repeated indulgences in things superficial, things unimportant, things that are selfish. And when we start to nurture our true selves by love and unity, by giving to others, it clears away so much of the non-believing, of things that don't fill us up, Suddenly we're different. Suddenly we begin to feel joy. We are bidden, Ivdu es Hashem besimcha, serve God with joy. And the word Ivdu is the same word as the word Eved, a servant, a slave. We need to devote ourselves above reason to this concept of being happy. Why should we be happy? We should be happy because God is continually with us. He's creating us. We are great. We are special. We are the handiwork of God. In the place that he desires to dwell in more than anywhere else. And we are a partner in his passionate dream to dwell in this world. Is that not a reason to be happy? Our religion is full of praise, of happiness. We have something called Hallel. Hallel to praise God on, on festivals, on the new moon. We have, on Friday night, we begin to say, Come, let us sing to Hashem. And we say, Serve God with joy. Come before Him with singing. You want to come before Him, close to Him, in His presence. And in His presence, there is strength and there is absolute great joy in his presence. Who doesn't want to be happy? Who doesn't want to feel joy? How do we get to feel the joy? 
serve God with joy. And initially, what kind of joy is that? You kind of force it. But when we serve, when we have that humility, and we're determined to see the good, we study a bit, we understand that this world is constantly being created by God. We begin to see our challenges, our Egypts, as containing great light, having been made by God. Each challenge is tailor-made to us, and we respond by acknowledging, by expressing, by declaring Hashem's presence everywhere, even in the darkness. And what makes Hashem so happy is when we acknowledge what's really there. We do that through loving the other and through showing unity. There is incredible, incredible brotherhoods, brotherhood amongst people. Love your fellow as yourself. Action. Give to the other. Join with the other. The greatest joy is to be found there. I've often repeated how the CNN reporter asked the Rebbe his message about Mashiach. And the Rebbe said, goodness and kindness, even a little bit, and Mashiach will come. Because that's when God will truly be comfortable. God is comfortable when we are kind to one another because that expresses God's unity, that he made us all and he put us together and we need to respond. Our responsibility for the other is expressed or underscored at the beginning of the parsha. When the people left, they were about to leave Egypt. What did Moshe Rabbeinu do? Moshe Rabbeinu took the bones of Joseph with. He took the casket in which Moshe, in which Joseph had been buried, had been hidden for all these years, and he fulfilled the promise that Joseph had asked his children to make, that they would take his bones out when they left Egypt. He said, God will remember you, and bring up my bones with you. Take them back to the Holy Land. But the choice of the word bone seems strange. But bone, or etzem, also means essence. The Jews now had to cross a desert, a wilderness, a physical and spiritual wilderness filled with challenges, and that would be for the next 40 years. There was a challenge at every turn, but in order that they should survive this journey, they needed Joseph to be with them. And Moshe made sure that the Jewish people would have the essence of Joseph, the etzim, the atzmos of Yosef with them. What's his essence? His essence is expressed in his name. His mother said, Yosef Hashem li May he add, may God add for me another son. And that wish includes the desire to welcome a stranger or an estranged Jew back into the fold. Yosef Hashem li bein acher. May God add that from an acher, from someone who seems estranged, he becomes a bane, close to God. How joyful is a father when his son who has been estranged is brought back to him. But the world is like a son that's estranged from God. Everything seems to run on its own. The mundane reality seems to take on a soul, a spirit, a life of its own. But the world and everything in it 
money, clothing, relationships, they are all meant to be a vehicle for holiness. And when they become acher, when they become estranged from their father in heaven, they're like an estranged son. The greatest joy for Hashem is if we make the acher, we make the one who's estranged, feel like a son again and behave like a son again. And every journey in exile and our personal journeys as well are like a journey through a dangerous, barren desert. How can we survive? There are times of terrible spiritual desolation. Well, if we look at Joseph's essence, what his name expresses, we will know how we can survive. We have to have our eye on the goal that even the most rebellious, distant, absolutely estranged individual must be brought back, must be warmly welcomed back into the fold. We must show others that they are truly Hashem's beloved child. If we stay focused on this love, on this caring, on giving to others, feeling a unity with others, we're assured that we will succeed and everyone will be brought back, as it were. But we ourselves will thrive and shine and be filled with joy because the ultimate joy is to be of service to the King of Kings, to be true to our own essence, which is a part of God himself. And so the bones of Joseph had to come along in order to give strength and direction, a message to the people who would now traverse a dangerous desert, which in a sense was an exile. They were still not in the promised land. The men and the women at that time who had left Egypt and were going to go through this formidable desert were not free of Pharaoh just because they had left Egypt. Because within a short while, they turned around and there was Pharaoh again. Pharaoh pursued them, and they were frightened. They became desperate. They wanted to go back. Others wanted to fight. Others wanted to kill themselves. Others wanted just to pray. And Hashem's response was, now's not a time to do any of that. I mean, isn't it wonderful to pray? Not now. Isn't it wonderful to fight? Now's not the time. Certainly not a time to throw yourself into the sea and drown yourself, and certainly not to give up and go back to Egypt. And instead, what happens? Well, before anything happens, we're going to take a short break and be right back. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. I'm Mashi Lipsker. Wonderful to be with you on this Erev Shabbos Shira. Tomorrow is the Shabbos of Song. And next week, we have the New Year for the Trees. This is a very special time. And the Parsha that we read helps us to enrich our experience of how we should relate to the times we are in. And so let's first speak about and go back to what we were saying before, speaking about challenges. The Jews get out of Egypt and they take the essence of Joseph with them, which means they take the essence of who Joseph was and what he did in this world, and that was to make someone who was estranged or something that was estranged 
to bring it back, to be close to Hashem, to turn something distant into something close, to turn an acher into a bane, to bring the child back to his father. Well, they marched out of Egypt. They were feeling happy, and they turned around, and there was Pharaoh. He changed his mind. God hardened his heart. He's pursuing the Jewish people. And the words used are, Ufarahi kriv, and Pharaoh drew near. But it can be read in another way. And the Medrash suggests as follows, that by chasing them, Parai, Pharaoh, the epitome of opposition to godliness, actually made the Jews draw nearer to God. How do we see that practically? Well, when they saw Pharaoh coming, They cried out to Hashem. When they saw the Egyptian army approaching, they turned to God. And it's such a fact. Often people say, why does it take difficulty and tragedy to make me aware of God? Why am I awakened and moved so much by challenge and not so much by times of joy, by the gifts, the revealed gifts God gives us? It is often opposition that awakens our deepest reserves of energy and touches the deepest part of our neshama. Because when we have a challenge, a challenge takes away, for a moment, our balance, our equilibrium. But when we're confronted with challenge, we have to train ourselves to use it as an opportunity for spiritual growth. So often we have a challenge, we run away from it. We don't want to know. We go into denial. We are angry. We do everything except deal with the challenge. And when we do deal with the challenge and we stop avoiding the inevitable, we actually break through a perceived ceiling. We actually discover we're much more than we thought we were. You know, when we're comfortable and we're content, we tend to lose sight of priorities We're in this world to make this world a dwelling place for God. There's an urgency. People need us. They need our love, our support, our help. The world needs our optimism, our joy, our involvement. We can at every moment make this world a better place, make our family life better, improve our own life. At any time, we can make choices that are good no matter how long we've been in Egypt. But, you know, when we get comfortable, the sense of urgency goes away. We have a divine mission, and it is urgent. For as long as Mashiach hasn't come, the Shekhinah, God's presence, is in exile. It's covered over. This world is called Olam, from the word hidden, Nahalim. We don't see the word of God. We don't see that this world belongs to the king of kings. We're in the palace and we're ignoring the king and behaving in a way that does not befit the royal setting that we're in. We're kind of oblivious to who we are, the child of God who's on a mission. And when we lose sight of priorities and we don't realize the urgency that time is the greatest gift. And then we, God forbid, get a clap. God forbid a physical or spiritual enemy arises. And 
the one thing that that always does is that it shocks us. We didn't expect that. And when we are shocked, it is a golden opportunity. Hashem has come to help us, to shock us out of our indifference. Hashem shakes us. We're not so self-assured anymore. And that's fertile ground to advance our relationship with Hashem. When we fight back, when we break through that particular obstacle that He in His love has put in our way, even though it looks like a Pharaoh, the Pharaoh draws us closer to God. And we need to celebrate when God rocks the boat. Because the truth is, that means that what we have to offer by fighting back is of tremendous value to him. And what does Hashem say? He says, I mean, the Jews are scared now. Practically speaking, Pharaoh is drawing near. And some people want to pray. And we said, it's not a bad thing to pray. But Hashem said, you don't have to pray. All that you have to do now is tell the people to march forward. It's time for them to do something, which will then open the floodgates. Phenomenal miracle. And Hashem said, lift up your staff over the sea, and the sea will split, and the Jews will pass through to safety. We know that the splitting of the sea was supernatural, miraculous. How do we make a miracle in our lives? Here's how. There has to be a natural action to detonate the explosion, to ignite the miracle, to make it happen. The Jews had to do something really hard. They had to march forward into the sea, which logically did not make sense at all. But there was one man. His name was Nachshon. Nachshon, the son of Aminadav. He said, God said, and I'll go. And you know what happened? When he reached, he couldn't anymore. The water was up to his nose or whatever, God split the sea. God said to Moshe, take up your staff and raise your arm over the sea. And that action by Moshe, and that action which inspired one person to access his deepest connection to God, that my connection to God means more to me than anything else, then God did a miracle. God always demands some sort of human act first. And that's really because things that don't involve us don't really affect us. When we're just given a gift, we don't appreciate it. But when we get involved, we get affected. When we make an effort to do something which is beyond ourselves, oh boy, God comes striding toward us with infinite revelation miracles. And that has to do in our lives on a daily basis. It's not enough to pray. We're asking God for blessings. We're asking God to help us. That is not enough. We have to make some sort of effort that becomes a vessel for the blessing. And when we do our part in whatever it is, and it's to hear the word of God, to listen to God, they had to walk forward. Moshe had to stretch out his hand. In our life, what is it? to do what God wants. What does he want? He wants a mitzvah. Mitzvah means connection. It means his will. It's from the word command. 
He instructs us. He reveals to us what his will is. And his will, his deepest will, as Rabbi Akiva says, love your fellow as yourself. That is the whole Torah. We have to remember that it is love for the other. Unity, goodness, kindness that brings about God's reciprocal but infinite response to give us that peace, to give us that menuchas hanefesh, the simcha, the joy that becomes the song that we sing and the song that we sing in unity. The word in the song here is Oshira, I will sing. They sang as one person and it brings to mind two beautiful stories, the one about love, the one about unity. So, there's this British school teacher. He comes for a yechidus, a private audience to the Rebbe. And the protocol for yechidus is you write your note, your letter. He came in, he handed the note to the Rebbe. And in the note, he had outlined some of his teaching innovations, his accomplishments in his classroom over the past year. After he read the note, the Rebbe looked up and with a serious look, a serious expression, he looked He studied the face of this person. And the man, the teacher said, Rebbe, you seem disappointed. Have I done something wrong? Is there something wrong with my teaching? And very gently, the Rebbe said, while it is obvious from your report that you are devoted to your mission, I don't sense, I don't perceive that you find any joy in your work. It's not enough to be good at something. To be successful, we have to love what we do. And we need to love God. We need to love what God loves. God loves his creations. For us to feel joy, we have to exercise love. We have to love what we do. We have to work at finding the joy. And we find it through giving love. We should be in love with life. We should be in love with the privilege And even the challenge. Love is not an easy thing. Love, like every mitzvah, is work. And you shall love your fellow as yourself is hard work. Because ivdu es Hashem b'simcha, to serve, to work, to be devoted to God with joy, implies it may not be easy. And finally, because this week we celebrated the anniversary of the Rebbe Accepting the leadership. Let's share a story from the early years. A certain chassid called Herschel had the privilege of being a friend, as it were. He had a personal relationship with the Rebbe, as it were. He had a privileged relationship with the Rebbe. He was a big Talmud chacham, a brilliant scholar. And he had the privilege that whenever he had a Talmudic question, he could consult with the Rebbe. After the Rebbe became Nasi, assumed the mantle of leadership, Herschel came to visit the Rebbe to wish him well and to wish him success. He felt close enough to ask, Nu, so how do you like being Rebbe? And what did the Rebbe say? He said, what I miss most are the informal gatherings or fabrengans of old. He says, these days I speak and the chassidim listen, but there's nothing like sitting amongst the chassidim 
and spending time sharing ideas, singing. It's all called fabrenging together in unity. It's a parasha when all the Jews sang together. And it's a forerunner to the day very soon when we will all sing together at the joyful arrival of Mashiach. May Shabbat Shira fill us with song and joy and may we celebrate many wonderful, joyous occasions all together with each other in absolute joy. Good Shabbos.